Well, what a joy. You know, I just got a text uh, from Kendall Payne. Uh, she's watching online right now, and she just said, I'm so stoked for you all in the Beller Church family as you embark on this new season. I pray that God will use him, meaning Brian, uh, in powerful and holy ways. So can we say, hey, Kendall? So awesome. You know, many join us online every single week. And uh, it's, it's amazing when you consider that this church family, again, is so much more than what you can see in person. And those who uh, choose to follow Christ and call Bel our church home, we, we gather and worship uh, most significantly in person. And yet for a variety of reasons, some of us, whether we are sick or travel uh, or on vacation, join online. Just know that that is available to you every single week. And if you miss any of the sermons, you can catch those online as well. And if you know, we're in the middle of a sermon series that we kind of have done in three different parts. Each of these parts have been uh, eight Sundays long, kind of like seasons, as it were. And we're covering the Exodus narrative. In fact, uh, more scripture is given towards the Exodus narrative than any other uh, story in scripture. In fact, it's more than just the book of Exodus. You've got the book of Exodus, the book of Leviticus, the book of Numbers, the book of Deuteronomy. And the first three chapters of Joshua cover this, this rescue story, this redemption story, this restoration story of God's people. And if you've hung with us, uh, you know that God hears the cries of his people. They've been enslaved in Egypt. God promises that he will not only free them from slavery, but he will make them a nation as he promised Abram hundreds of years prior that they would be a blessing for all people on the planet. And so God sets them free from slavery. He leads them out through uh, the Red Sea. And he says, I've got a place for you. It's called the promised land. And you're going to dwell. You're going to be my people. I'm going to be your God. And the world will come to know what it's like to experience the maker of heaven and earth as your God. And everyone will be blessed through you. The problem is they're people just like us. And they lack faith just like us. And fear rises up just like us. They forget just like us. And last week, if you were with us, I shared in Numbers chapters 14 and 15, something happens in, a, in an area called Kadesh Barnea, which is just a two days journey from the promised land. So last week, they were about a year into their journey, and something happened there. They became fearful. And their fear prevented them from stepping into the promised land. And God said, because of your fear, because of your disobedience, none of you, except for Caleb and Joshua, who have faith, who aren't filled with fear, none of you are going to step in the promised land. So that's what I shared last week, that for many of us, too, we, we have fear in our lives, and it prevents us from stepping into all that God has for us. Now, this week, something else happens in Kadesh Barnea. What's fascinating is though it's only six chapters later, Numbers 20, it's 39 years later. So what took us a week took them 39 years. They find themselves back at Kadesh Barnea. That whole generation that God rescued from the nation of, from, from Egypt, they've all died off. And so now it's this next generation that finds themselves back in Kadesh Barnea. And in this time, it's not fear that prevents them from stepping in the promised land. It's anger that prevents 
Moses and Aaron from stepping into the promised land. So last week was fear. This week is anger. Nothing that we can relate to, right? My, my hope and my prayer is that you would hear through this Holy Spirit how this applies to you, how it applies to me. This is convicting. I'd rather not preach this sermon, frankly. It's much more convenient for me not to preach this. And the kind of the thesis statement, if any of you are taking notes uh, on paper or on your phone, uh, is simply this. I'll repeat it a number of times throughout the sermon, but let me say it first and foremost right here. That anger can unleash havoc in everyone when God's perspective is forgotten. Let me say it again. Anger can unleash havoc in everyone when God's perspective is forgotten. So this is Numbers chapter 20, verses 1 through 13. If you have your pew Bibles, it's on page 121. And again, we find ourselves 39 years after last week. I'm glad we're not preaching in real time. We're going to get to the promised land the first Sunday in August. We'll get through Joshua 1 through 3. But right now, we're still stuck in the wilderness with the nation of Israel. And boy, I can relate to this group. I can relate to Moses. And I pray that you can too through the Spirit. This is Numbers 20, 1 through 13. The Israelites... The whole congregation came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and the people stayed in Kadesh. Miriam died there and was buried there. Now, there was no water for the congregation, so they gathered together against Moses and against Aaron. The people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we had died when our kindred died before the Lord? Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness for us and for our livestock to die here. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to bring us to this wretched place? It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Then Moses and Aaron went away from the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting. They fell on their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and your brother Aaron, and command the rock before their eyes to yield its water. Thus you shall bring water out of the rock for them. Thus you shall provide drink for the congregation and their livestock. So Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he had commanded him. Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Listen, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water came out abundantly in the congregation, and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust in me to show my holiness before the eyes of the Israelites, Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah, where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord, and by which he showed his holiness. This, my friends, is the reading of God's word. Oh! 
40 years of faithfulness, 40 years of integrity, 40 years of Moses standing in the gap, 40 years of Moses, in a sense, talking God off of the idea of destroying God's people, 40 years like that, gone in one act of disobedience. Right? I mean, Duncan, right? How intense is this? How relatable is this? We can have a long run of integrity in our workplaces, in our families, in our neighborhoods. We can have a reputation that is stellar and it can just be one act that unravels the whole thing. You see, anger can unleash havoc when God's perspective is forgotten. Now let me just work through this in three points. Uh, Anger can. It doesn't always, but it can. Because anger, what scripture says, is kind of neutral. In fact, it is neutral. In fact, why don't you take a look at this passage of scripture in Ephesians chapter 4, verses uh, 26 and 27. And once you get there, why don't you shout out the page number that it is. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. If you have your Red Pew Bible. 951. I wish I had that voice to preach in. <laughs> Love it. God gives different gifts to people. <laughs> I love this, Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. It says, be angry. Oh, that's interesting. Be angry, but do not sin. So some translations say, in your anger, do not sin. What modern day uh, sociologists, neuroscientists, uh, psychologists also point to is that anger is an emotion. And yet anger, when unmanaged, can wreak havoc. But because anger is a neutral emotion, it can actually be used for good things. You see, Paul, writing to the church in Ephesus 2,000 years ago, says that anger is something that can cause you to sin, but also anger is something that can cause you to actually do the very thing that God wants you to do. Anger in and of itself is neutral. And it can be used for a positive thing when anger causes you for the first time in your life to say, this addiction that I've gotten caught up in for 25 years, I've got to stop. If the anger that wells up when you see the life that you've created for yourself because of an addiction causes you then to ask for help, that is a positive use of anger. When anger wells up and you step in to be an advocate for somebody who doesn't have a voice, That honors God's heart. When you speak out against injustice in a a kind way, in a strong way, in a courageous way, because of your anger, that can actually honor the Lord. When you step in and you protect somebody who's being abused emotionally, physically, psychologically, your anger can actually be managed in a healthy way. The problem is that the majority of us have no idea what to do with anger, and it causes havoc in our lives. There is bullying around the world because many of us have no idea what to do with anger. There is domestic violence in this world because many of us have no idea what to do with anger. There's wars 
because many of us have no idea what to do with anger. There is evil perpetuated because some of us, like me, don't deal with anger in the right way, and rather what we do is we stay silent and we stuff it. You see, anger can be something that wreaks havoc when you're silent and in when you blow up. Every single one of us has a choice every single day of our lives. When things happen, what do we do with our anger? And some of us, we think, oh, I don't have a problem with anger. I'm never angry. Well, that's a problem because likely what you're doing is you are stuffing it. And God is calling you perhaps sometimes to speak the truth in love. And rather what you're doing is you're allowing that poison to seep in your heart. And you're just, you're just, you're dying on the inside. In fact, scientists tell us that because we are unable to deal with anger, it is rising our blood pressure. We are at a high risk for a stroke, for, for heart attack. All these massive issues because our society can't deal with anger. So when I preach this, I'm thinking I've got a mirror in front of me. I'm not even looking at you uh, in this moment. I, just, I see in myself. Ask my wife what happens when somebody cuts me off on the freeway. I mean, right? I mean, I just... For some reason, I just, she's like, babe, we got the kids to stop it. Like, don't ride them so close. I'm like, they cut me off, you know. Your pastor struggles with anger. <laughs> but most of the time, I stuff it. I stuff it, I stuff it, I stuff it, I stuff it. And that's just as much a problem. And in this passage, uh, we see how anger uh, is wreaking havoc. You see what's fascinating about that Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 passages is uh, in your anger or be angry and do not sin. It goes on to say, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Now, how many of you ever saw the movie Inside Out? You know, that Pixar film uh, and what they do is they personify the different emotions in the, in the main character. And one of the, you know, the emotions is, is anger. And it's this like intense, furry, red dude with a crazy voice and like, like a blowing up like volcanic head, right? Perfect personification of anger. Now here's what's fascinating. They actually consulted with a, an anger management specialist as they do in films, you know, to kind of get it right. And this, this gentleman by the name of John Shinneman uh, who lives up in Danville, California talks about how, you know, anger is an emotion is one thing, but when... You don't get down off of the anger. When it lasts for more than a day, remember, don't let the sun go down on your anger. When that happens, he says, that emotion of anger turns into a mood. And it's not just an angry emotion. It's now an angry mood. And it's under the surface. And it causes irritability. It causes frustration. It causes bitterness. And it causes people, over time, if they have an angry mood under the surface, it causes people to think that other people are the problem and they've got nothing wrong with them. None of us can relate to that, can we? Uh, how many of you uh, can relate to that? Yeah, half of you are not honest in this moment. Because, uh, <laughs> or just like, am I, can I? Yeah. I mean, 
it just, it, we see it on TV, we see it on the freeways. If you're honest, we see it in ourselves. And kind of my premise here coming from this text is that anger can unleash havoc in everyone. Not just certain people, in everyone when God's perspective is forgotten. So let's take a look at this and, and how the scriptures point to that and how they can give us hope and resources today to live differently for Christ and for his glory. So in uh, Numbers 20, where we started, what's so fascinating is uh, let, let's take a look at how this happens uh, for the whole congregation, the whole of the nation of Israel. How their uh, neutral emotion, they don't have water, now begins to wreak havoc because God's perspective has been forgotten. It's crystal clear right here when we, we see that that way. In Numbers 20, take a look at this. It says in verse 3, uh, the people quarreled with Moses and said, the, the Hebrew word for quarreled right there, which is the language of the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, of which has been translated into English. The word quarreled there is actually a legal term. In other words, the writer is saying that the whole nation has now put Moses and Aaron on trial. And their anger at their circumstances is now unleashing havoc. And their action is that they're pointing the finger at Moses, they're pointing the finger at Aaron, and this is what they're saying. Why have you, verse 4, why have you, Moses, why have you, Aaron, why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness for us and our livestock to die here? Verse 5, why have you brought us up to this place? They've forgotten God's perspective, and God's perspective is this. Uh, you are in the wilderness because you, the whole nation, has disobeyed me. You as a whole nation have allowed fear to become louder than God's promises. You see, the reason why they're still the wilderness almost 40 years later, why they have no water, while they're in the stuck place in between Egypt and slavery and the promised land in Canaan is because they've been unfaithful. And they've forgotten God's perspective. They've forgotten what God has said. And now they're pointing the finger at their leader and they're saying, you Moses, you Aaron, you're the reason. And now watch how anger begets anger. How when a wrong perspective multiplies anger, uh, multiplies havoc. Because now, what do Moses and Aaron do? Well, at first they do the right thing. They go to the Lord. Verse 6, then Moses and Aaron went away from the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting. They fell on their faces. This is a good thing. They didn't trip and fall. This is literally is they humble themselves. They're prostrate before the Lord with absolute humility. The glory of the Lord appears to them. They've now got the whole nation of Israel putting them on trial, blaming them, pointing the finger at them. They go to the Lord and God speaks. And what's so fascinating is it begins to sound like God is saying, oh, this has happened before. There's been another time, if you remember Moses, when the people didn't have water. There was another time when I told you to grab the staff, the same staff that you took before Pharaoh. 
the, the, the rod of authority. There was another time, in fact, it's in Exodus 17, you were with us in the fall. There was another time, almost 40 years prior, where the nation of Israel, they've run out of water. God says, Moses, take your staff, and I want you to go to that rock, and I want you to strike the rock, and now water's going to come forth. And that happened. And Moses was obedient. It didn't make sense. How could a stick hitting a rock produce water? I don't know, but I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to do it. Moses was obedient in the past. Water came forth. The people were provided for. All was good. It seems like God is about to do that again, except there's one change. Take a look. Verse 8, take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and your brother Aaron, and command the rock before their eyes to yield its water. It's so subtle. It's so tiny. But God has a new command in this new context. He says, I want you to speak to the rock, Moses. And water will come forth. The people will have water. Their needs will be met. And my, God says, my glory will be revealed. And what's so fascinating is that in that moment, Moses could have been obedient. But what he does is he takes a truth that God gave him in the past and he tries to force it into a new situation. He misapplies a truth from somewhere else and tries to put it in a new context. Why? It doesn't explicitly say why, but what Moses says to the nation of Israel reveals that likely he is angry and he's not managing his anger very well. Because take a look. As it says in Numbers 20, verse 10, Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. Crowd around people, come on, come on. Just like Exodus 17, watch this. Moses says, listen, you rebels. Now, I cannot think of Star Wars, you know. I cannot not think of Star Wars in this, you know, rebel scum. This is not a term of endearment. This is not love. This is not service. Right from the get-go, you see the language that Moses uses. Finally, after 40 years, he's not managing his anger well in this moment. And he takes the opportunity to point the finger back at the people. And now you'll see that anger is going to wreak havoc in his life because he forgot the perspective of God. You see, the people are pointing at Moses and Aaron. And now Moses and Aaron are pointing at the people. And so he is oh so overwhelmed with his anger and his frustration. And these people, I've been going to bat for them. They're alive because of me. I've, I'm asking God to forgive them, and I've had it up to here. And he says, listen, you rebels. And watch what he says next. Listen, you rebels, shall we bring water from this rock? Oh, Moses. Oh, you think you're high and mighty now. You're, you're speaking down to the people, and you're lifting yourself up? You see in that moment, he's standing next to Aaron, and he says, you rebels, shall we? And in the Hebrew language, it literally says, shall we fetch some water for you? In that moment, Moses has completely forgotten that it is God that provides. And he steps up and he says, watch, shall we do this again? 
And I'm telling you, there's a temptation in leadership, especially when people point to the leader and say, you are the problem, fix this. There's a temptation among leaders to say, watch me fix it. And in that moment, you forget what God says. And God says, no, 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 it is me that does the work. You are called to be faithful. It doesn't matter who you are, if you're Moses, if you're Aaron, if you're the senior pastor of Baylor Church, a moment of unfaithfulness can wreak havoc in your life. And so in that moment, Moses, he speaks down to the people. He lifts himself up. And what's so fascinating is that there's results immediately. Water comes forth. Be very, very, very careful to think that the results, to think that the numbers, to think that the provision means that there is obedience, that there is faithfulness, that the, the ends have actually been justified by the means. You see, we live in a culture that worships results, worships growth, worships fruit, worships needs being met. And there's a temptation, I'm telling you, among leaders to do whatever we can do to make it happen. And what's so fascinating is in that moment, in that temptation, in, I believe, the, the anger of Moses that he didn't manage well, that it unleashed havoc because here's what he did. He didn't listen to the command of the Lord. The command of the Lord was, new context, speak to the rock. What does Moses do? He hits the rock. And he doesn't just hit the rock, he hits it twice. Because it felt good, I don't know. Like, <laughs> Have any of you kicked a tire? Or punched a wall? Or screamed a pillow, you know? Or a Bible? It feels good in the moment, but it gets you nowhere. Hitting rocks will get you nowhere, Moses. So much so that God says, I, I, I still provided through you. Even though as the leader of the nation, you've been completely unfaithful, I'm still going to have my purposes done, but now there's consequences for you. You see, Moses, it's just one moment. Because he had been called to a much higher standard. He was the leader that was supposed to represent to the people God. And he was now representing God as a bitter, angry, pushing down, lifting oneself up kind of leader. And what's so fascinating is that later on in Numbers 20, if you read it later, it says this, that in that moment, Moses was rebellious. The same word that Moses says that the people are. And the great irony of that moment when he, in his anger, is pointing the finger at them, God says, you were doing the same thing. And it was unleashing havoc for the people. It unleashed so much havoc for Moses and Aaron that God now says to Moses, because of this unfaithfulness, because you've misrepresented me, you can't go into the promised land. None of us are exempt. We are all called to live holy lives. And when anger wells up in us as emotion, as the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, 
Don't sin. Not only not let the sun go down on your anger, but don't give the devil a foothold. Because in that moment, they succumbed, and especially Moses, to the first temptation that the enemy tempted the first humans with. You see, in the garden, they had everything. They had God, they had each other, they had themselves, they had all of creation. It was wholeness. Uh, The Hebrew word is shalom. It was not only a lack of violence, it was uh, this deep interwoven sense of connectedness to what it means to be made in God's image, caring for each other and all of cultivation and, and creation. And the enemy slips in and twists the truth just enough goes after their memory and said, did God really say you can't eat from all the trees of the garden? When it was just one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in that moment, they chose their way rather than God's way. In that moment, they didn't trust God. And in that moment, it began to unleash havoc and they became angry with God and each other and themselves and creation. And were born into this world. In that moment, Moses stopped trusting God. Had he been obedient, it would have, I believe, solved the wrong perspective and the mismanaged anger of the nation of Israel. Remember, they're pointing at their leaders saying, you, you, Moses, you fix it. Do what you've done before. And had he come out and rather than striking the rock, simply spoken to the rock, the nation of Israel would have no choice other than to say, surely the Lord is in this. But he didn't do that. He missed out on the promised land. And every single one of us as followers of Christ have an opportunity every single day to step into the life that God has for us. And last week it was fear, this week it's anger, and we live that out every single day of our lives. There are things in your life, in my life, that are preventing me from experiencing here and now Here in Los Angeles, with my friends, with my family, with my kids, with my wife, I'm missing out if I don't know how to manage anger. If I don't first turn to the Lord and say, would your spirit transform me? You know, right now there are three common things that society says can help you with your anger. And what's fascinating is all three of these things are like shadows. They are echoes of biblical truth. And the three things are this, practice mindfulness, Learn how to forgive, learn how to love yourself. You, you Google right now, or you know, Bing, or whatever, Yahoo search, whatever you do, how to deal with anger, those three things will come up. Practice mindfulness, learn how to forgive, learn how to love yourself. And yet you can practice those things, and you can do so in ways that will actually never transform you, and you'll still have anger. Because the true source of transformation comes from God. And it is in Scripture that we actually learn how to practice true mindfulness. I'll get to that in a moment. How to truly forgive and how to truly love ourselves. Romans 12 says this, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This isn't just a mindfulness of just, you know, you know kind of centering yourself and allowing the anger to float out. No, it is allowing your mind to be fixated and focused on God's word. Who God says you are. How beloved you are in Christ. How much he's going to provide for you and care for you. And how he longs for you to step into the fullness of that. How faithful God is. The more that we can 
saturate our lives with scripture, the more we are going to remember God's perspective. And when we get cut off on the freeway, maybe I'll begin to think, you know what? I just cut three people off. Maybe I can extend grace to them because God has extended grace to me. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's the quickest way to begin to have the resources when anger wells up to actually have it prompt you to have behavior and words and action that causes the flourishing of others that is actually to God's glory. The second society says is you got to learn how to forgive others. I'm telling you, uh, you cannot learn how to forgive others truly and deeply and profoundly in a free sort of way until you first realize what it means to be forgiven yourself. And when you can see the lengths that Christ went to on your behalf, how much you need to be forgiven, how broken you and I, we are, how much we need the redemptive rescue of Jesus Christ, then it actually enables us to start forgiving other people in the same way that we have first been forgiven. Third, finally, you've got to learn how to love yourself. Society says, well, this is what Scripture says. You are beloved in Christ. Ephesians 2.10, you are God's poema. You are God's masterpiece. That God loves you so much that even in the midst of your fear and your anger, Christ died for you. He loves you that most much. First John says that we can love others. Why? Because God first loved us. These resources that are found in Scripture can prevent us from being like the nation of Israel, can prevent us from being like Moses. I know I've got a choice every single day of my life. What am I going to do when anger pops up? Most often I just stuff it. That actually unleashes havoc in my life. The few times that it does outburst, that, that unleashes havoc in my life. And so I'm choosing to come to Scripture, to be reminded of God's perspective, to learn the art and the joy even of forgiveness, and to understand that I'm beloved in Christ. I need help in that. I'm guessing you might need help in that. That's why we do this together in community. The more that we can choose to do this life together, to join a life group, to ask for prayer, to not just point the finger but say, I, I need help in this. We've got a resource today, in fact, for you. When you leave and you walk out through the narthex out on the patio, our team that leads Celebrate Recovery has some resources for you today. In fact, there's biblical resources to help you or someone you know, I know, uh, it's for a friend, you might say at the table. It's for a friend, you know. Don't be too prideful not to take it. There's some resources that can help all of us with how we deal with anger. Don't miss that opportunity today. God loves you. And I love the fact that he sent his son who on the cross had all the reason in the world to look at us and say, you rebels. He rather said, Lord, forgive them. They know not what they do. That's love. Let's pray. Loving God, we thank you that we can gather at this table the first of the month and every Sunday night. And it's your table. You remind us of the links that you went to on our behalf. And Jesus, I thank you that there's so much richness that it says in 1 Corinthians that that rock was actually a, a, a symbol, a sign that pointed to you, Jesus. That you were struck. 
And because of that, life flowed from you to us. And God, I thank you that that 1 Corinthians passage says that Jesus, you will never be struck again. The death you died, you died once and for all. And so now the command is to speak to you, Jesus, as our rock, as our redeemer, to speak to you in faith and in prayer, to ask you as our rock, as our sustainer, to give us life. And then we thank you that when we do speak to you, Jesus, you hear, that you intercede for us on our behalf at the right hand of the Father. It's in your love and in your name we pray. We say together.